Well, hello out there, all you smooth-talking sloth bears. Welcome to another episode of A Little Greener, a podcast all about nature, conservation, and sustainability. I am one of your co-hosts, Casey, and I am joined by the ever-wonderful Sarah. Hello, Sarah. Hello. How's it going this week? Oh, it is going. <laughs> uh, it is fall. Oh, dear. <laughs> it is fall. Happy fall. Happy fall. It's like it's like peak fall right now, like the good part of fall before all the leaves are gone, but like it's actually cooler out. Yeah. So I'm enjoying that element. Do you, do you know the Jim Gaffigan bit about fall and the leaves turning the foliage? The foliage. Vaguely. Yes. It's it rings really a bell. <laughs> just when, when you said before all the leaves, the leaves. are gone, it just made, made me think it's always worth a watch every fall. Every fall. I'll have to look that up. Yeah, we drove up to Ithaca, New York, and basically oh. experienced all stages of leaf change yeah. in between. And so that's kind of fun. You're like, oh, the mountains are pretty. <laughs> yeah, that's super fun. I got none of that down here, but it's not as unbearably hot as it has been earlier in the year. So that's been nice. Yeah, and you're, you're still green. Yeah, and it's sunny and lovely. And I get to sit outside uh, over my, well, I guess my breakfast breaks. So that's nice, which is a thing that I wanted to touch base about today. We issue these challenges on every episode, and I feel like we haven't chatted about challenges in a while. So I just wanted to check in. Do you have any challenge updates for us, Casey? How do you feel like you've been doing? I personally feel like I've been doing horribly with my challenges, and so I really have just in the past week wanted to try to get back to basics and so now that it's not so unbearably hot I'm trying to spend my breakfast break outside at least it's not super naturey, but at least I'm, I'm getting some of that outdoor time in well one of my challenges last week was if it looked like it was about to storm to go outside mm-hmm. and check that out and then it stopped raining here as it does I guess <laughs> So I didn't get to do that. I did actually have a call back in my brain to a episode we did a long time ago where it was like green traveling, Mm -hmm. green vacation. And we talked a little bit about um, hotel conservation efforts. And I was really mad at myself because I didn't take a picture uh, as I was leaving the hotel. But our hotel that we stayed in for my cousin's wedding, instead of having those, you know, those little tiny bottles of yeah. shampoo and stuff that they put in there Instead i was gonna, having... about to call them condiments but that's not what they are <laughs> <laughs> no, <they're>, no no i <laughs> don't need those <laughs> um in, instead like attached to the wall they had larger sizes that were refillable with pump heads and i guess i just hadn't stayed in a nice hotel in a while but <laughs> i thought that was really wonderful because yeah. that's way less plastic waste now they should have refilled the one for conditioner for us but oh, um but i liked using that way better than like you know when you're like you like turn it upside down yeah. and you like can't get the shampoo to mm-hmm. come out of the little thing it's too tiny even to put your finger in yes yeah i didn't have to deal with that so i um am on board nine out of ten for that excellent yeah i do feel like that's a thing that is becoming more and more common for hotels to do so well done for thinking way back when on those challenges so I just need to sort of recommit again I know we did it at the start of the year too but to just really sort of be a little bit more mindful about challenges getting getting my challenges 
life happens yeah and not yeah yeah not that it has to be that challenge that week every time but to really be 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 more mindful about past challenges and making sure that I'm not dropping habits that I picked up and all that sort of thing so this week Casey we are continuing our energy series And I'm a little bit terrified of this week's episode, but we're going to see how it goes. We're going to talk about nuclear power. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. So (laughs) I just want to start off with our question before we even jump into our discussion, because I think that this is very relevant to our discussion. What comes to mind for you when you hear nuclear or radiation, either or, What when you hear those words, what comes to mind for you? Very negative connotations. I think, especially right now with like the war in Ukraine. So Mm -hmm. if you're listening to this like way in the future, there's a war in Ukraine and (laughs) Russia invaded. And last week, the Ukrainians blew up an important bridge. And then there was a bunch of news articles that were like, Putin considering nuclear options, you know, all, all these nuclear weapons, basically, being launched out there. And that's like the ultimate threat of war is like the worst case scenario nukes so you you go you go weapons when you hear nuclear you go i i think yeah mostly i mean the it depends on the context really because on a different day you might say that and i would think ah yeah the power plant like 15 minutes mm-hmm. from my house so lots to talk about yeah um, yeah i definitely i think for me the word nuclear does make me think weapons and and just scary like it's just a sort of an immediate like fear response almost when I hear it I hear radiation I think about cancer I hear nuclear I think about war and and not just the you're talking about nuclear options within war I've been seeing articles perhaps because my phone is spying on me but that there's a a nuclear power plant that is currently you know, facing, jeopardized. Yes, yeah. exactly. Good, good way to say it, which we'll talk a little bit about that in general as we go along tonight, too. But that's another potential issue. Even if I think nuclear, I think about nuclear power, I think about catastrophes, right? Yeah. You, you know, you might think about Chernobyl or, or one of those. So I do think that this is a big challenge when it comes to nuclear energy and the use of nuclear energy is these preconceived notions that come along with it and these sort of loaded words that we use. So we're going to dive in tonight to what nuclear energy is, how it really works, why we're talking about it as an energy source, and what some of those pros and cons might be. So stick around. All right. Welcome, everybody, to a discussion on nuclear energy. This is a personal challenge for me uh, taking on this episode because I really do have these sort of gut feelings associated with the words and sort of preconceived notions about what 
nuclear power entails. And I really don't, didn't know much about it, honestly. And on top of that, I'm a person that likes to learn things. I like to be taught things. I don't like it when there are very split opinions <laughs> on a subject. And there are. You can find very strong opinions on nuclear power, obviously from different stakeholders, but also even coming at it from what we're thinking about in terms of the environment. Folks who are concerned about the environment have some split opinions on nuclear energy. I do also, while we're on that, want to just mention that potentially, seeing where tonight's episode goes, it might feel a little bit removed from our sort of nature conservation sustainability, because I am going to dive in a little bit to just how nuclear energy works. But hopefully, as we go through and we talk about the process of nuclear energy, we'll see where those tie-ins are and how it's connected to the environment. Let's do it. Let's do it. So how does nuclear energy work? Again, we're thinking about, you know, fossil fuels being the big source of our energy today. And so we're looking at the other options that are out there and kind of a little bit comparing and contrasting those with with fossil fuels. So we think about those fossil fuels, we are burning those fossil fuels to produce steam. So we're producing steam to turn turbines to generate electricity. That's how it works. That burning of the fossil fuels is the big sticking point with them in the release of those greenhouse gases. So with nuclear energy, we're not burning anything. We are literally splitting atoms to generate electricity. That's wild. Yep. My brain can barely comprehend what an atom is. I can tell you. <laughs> I can give you the definition. I can give you a description of the particles and how an atom is composed. But I can really... You know what I mean? Like, barely grasp it. So I remember when I was, like, in seventh grade or whatever, we learned, or maybe mm -hmm. eighth grade, when I, we learned what an atom was, and they gave you, like, a very clear little diagram yes. of it. And then I remember, like, 11th grade chemistry, they were like, actually, it doesn't look anything like yeah. that. Where, like, you thought, like, oh, it's got, like, all these little rings of electrons around it. And then it's, like, actually, it's a cloud. And the statistical probability of an electron being yeah. a certain point. You're, like, what? Yep. How? Ah. I was, so. like, it's too late. My brain, like, <laughs> this diagram is the what first one. <laughs> so I can no, I no longer have the ability to grasp it. Yeah. So and then they're, I, like, oh, there's things in between the right. eyes. Well, what yeah. is it? Nothing? Yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what we're doing is splitting those atoms, which uh, releases the energy to heat, typically heat water, to produce that steam to turn those turbines to generate the electricity. So we're cutting out that burning aspect. We're generating heat by splitting atoms. This is called nuclear fission. This is, to my understanding, the same thing that happens with atomic bombs. It's just in a nuclear power plant, we are controlling this reaction. Uh, FYI, for what it's worth, nuclear fusion, which is the opposite, putting atoms together apparently also creates energy, but we haven't figured out how to safely do that, I guess. This is the way that hydrogen bombs work, apparently. Not even going to go there. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> so, 
nuclear fission. That's what we're doing. The fuel for this is typically uranium, specifically U-235. This is going to be the most common fuel for nuclear fission. Uranium, as we are all probably aware, is a radioactive material, meaning that as it decays, it gives off energy and subatomic particles, and these can be damaging to us depending on the dosage that we receive. But right there is almost enough for me to be like, nope, you know what I mean? Like, this is not something we should be messing with. Yes, I think. And like, again, listeners, like this is just our preconceived part of it. This is not the thesis of our. Correct. Correct. (laughs) Yeah. Not how the rest of the episode goes. This is just us reacting to particular pieces of information. Mm -hmm. But yes, like, especially because I think as humans as well, as an individual, this is very hard for me to understand because we're talking about something on a subatomic level. We're also talking about something that has so many variables that seems really difficult for like not just the lay person to understand, but also to like isolate particular parts of it. You know, how long is that exposure? Mm-hmm. At what level? What what's receiving the exposure? What all yes. that that it feels like so much testing should have to go on with it that like it's just not worth whatever <laughs> whatever thing we're missing. Does that make sense? Like, it does. Yes. Yeah. It, it does make sense. And I think, you know, we're these are things that are going to come up again and again as we move through the episode. But but yeah, so as I say these words, it feels like, oh, my gosh, like this is. But then you have to take a step back and remember, we, we're first of all, we're not making uranium radioactive. Uranium exists and yes. is radioactive. And we are all exposed to background levels of radiation every single day. All the time. All the time. You know, I walk outside and I go out without sunscreen and I'm exposing myself, you know, voluntarily uh, to a certain amount of of danger in that way. So that's just in some immediate perspective that I kind of have to remind myself of to to slow myself down and say, okay, like, let's let's really walk through this. So, okay, so we've got this nuclear fission reaction zooming out a little bit. Back, uh, sort of backtracking or looking at the, the the bigger picture, where are we doing this nuclear fission to generate our power? This takes place in nuclear reactors in a nuclear power plant. And Casey, you sort of mentioned it in the intro, but you live not too far from one, right? Uh-huh. I could see it from my, my hometown. <laughs> it's a weird thing to grow up around because certain parts of it become just like fabric of your reality that you forget that like lots of people don't interact with nuclear power plants. So for example, I've mentioned this on the podcast before. I thought that when I was little, that these were cloud makers when you're talking about right. this That's what I thought their job was is the way the clouds were made is we had two big giant towers <laughs> that put them into the sky because that's the sheer amount of steam that you see coming out of them every day is these huge cloud sized pillars of steam. So, I mean, what you are seeing, yeah, is actually that steam being released from these sort of cooling towers as as water gets cooled. So basically what happens is you have these these fuel rods in the nuclear reactor. Usually these fuel rods are in a moderator, which I, as I understand it, is is typically water. That is what is helping to kind of control the reaction and the speed of 
these neutrons that we're using to bust these atoms open to generate the electricity. Water is used to uh, to, to control the, the reaction, and then water is sort of cooled and reused for the next reaction. So that's kind of what is happening in the power plant itself. And then we got to look at the entire fuel cycle. So how do we get this uranium to these plants and where does it go afterwards i never thought i knew that like you had to mine it but i never thought about like and then how do you get it there so thank you for bringing that up it's crazy like well and i still don't this is it's you know i'm trying to just sort of grasp the basics of all that Mm -hmm. i will say i will have a ton of resources in the show notes there is a lot of information on our government websites, you can find a a lot of stuff out there. It's just the process of putting it all together. And it is a little bit vague in some areas that I wish it wasn't so vague. (laughs) So so there are definitely still things that I want to know more about. But we have been mining uranium for a long time, really back in the 40s here in the United States, we, we were mining before then, but I guess uranium mining and milling really boomed in the mid to late 40s. Oh, uh, I hate the idea of a, a little 1940s coal miner going down into a uranium mine. It's right? wrong. <laughs> Honestly, well, yeah. So I guess before that, we, the United States at least, was, was purchasing uranium from other countries, but so- You got it. Yeah, during the uh, this sort of mid to late 1940s, there was a lot of mining going on, and mine operators extracted nearly 4 million tons of uranium ore from the Navajo Nation alone. And this is mm. going to be a, a little bit of a kind of sticking point as we talk through this, so, so we'll come back to that. Not just from the Navajo Nation, but that was a big, big source and the way that this was mostly getting mined was in sort of underground mines and so there are definitely risks that went along with that that is not however the way that uranium is mined today most u.s uranium is produced using a solution mining technique called in situ leach or ISL is typically how you'll see it. The way that this is described, and I'm just going to read it, is this process extracts uranium that coats the sand and gravel particles of groundwater reservoirs. The sand and gravel particles are exposed to a solution with a pH that has been elevated slightly by using oxygen, carbon dioxide, or caustic soda. This uranium dissolves into the groundwater which is pumped out of the reservoir and then processed at a uranium mill. So Casey, just hearing that description, any thoughts, feelings, you're making a face. Okay. So the first part I was like, this is one of those things that was just sort of flying over my head of like separating uranium from sand. The second you pop groundwater Mm -hmm. into any mining operation typically bad news we went over that with our coal episode and that's something that's like super well known in the amazon of being a huge issue is all the heavy metal mining done there 
poisons the water source. So I am concerned duly because it dissolves into the groundwater, but also because you mentioned that a lot of it came from the Navajo Nation, which is a particular community that wouldn't have as much accessibility to resources that would protect them from this. And we will talk more about that further on. I agree with you. And this is one of those areas where there's going to be more to come. And I was okay. telling Casey pri- uh, prior to recording that I don't know that we'll necessarily do a, a multiple part episode on nuclear energy. But as I was reading about all of these things, I was like, ah, there's so much more that I want to dig into. And I just don't have the, the time to keep researching right now. So this is a sticking point for me. I had I read through a few articles. I have a few things, a few articles linked, and I'll have some things in the show notes. But I I want to understand better the amount of risk that we're talking about here. Because right. yes, this certainly does get mentioned as a as a risk of uranium mining is this potential for groundwater contamination. However, I was also finding articles, including things like uh, something from the Australian government, a study that they had done related to this, that basically says this in-situ leach is less damaging environmentally than the way that we used to mine. And that basically they said it should be allowed to continue. So they were they were doing this study of a particular area of a particular location for the Australian government and seemed to think that the risks did not prohibit this from taking place. But it is something that I, I want to understand better and see more data and information on, on what this how this works and what the the risk of potentially damaging an aquifer say would be or how all of that works this does however eliminate some of the safety concerns of underground mining in particular radon gas inhalation was one of the big issues so i think from that standpoint it is safer in terms of the folks who are actually doing the mining it seems to me that there's a a decreased safety issue for those people, which is a good thing. So that's how we're doing it mostly now is this in-situ leach mining. And then there's a process called milling where this uranium ore gets concentrated. This is referred to as yellow cake. And I watched some videos about this and it really does. I don't know how to describe it, but I feel like yellow cake is a fairly accurate description for what this material looks like as it's being milled, and then it has to be uh, converted. So it gets converted to a, a, a gas form, and then it goes through a process called enrichment. And all of this is just because we're trying to get that uranium-235. So mm, Okay, okay. Yes. <laughs> I was like, so, I don't want to get it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so okay. there are different isotopes of uranium, and the one that we want, the, the one that is best for producing this energy is U-235. And so that's what this process is going through right now, is we're converting this to a gas, and then uh, we're, we're increasing this concentration of U-235, basically. And then once we've done that, there's a process called fuel fabrication. And this is where this material is formed into ceramic fuel pellets. And these pellets are then stacked and sealed into metal tubes. And this is what forms the fuel rods 
better than bundled together to make a fuel assembly that's going to go to the re- the reactor and those rods are going to be in the water and then that's where all of these this reaction is taking place is that sort of almost kind of clear a little bit pellets get stacked into tubes that are rods and then the rods become the core reactor okay yeah basically so okay so then this is all put together they're transported to the reactor sites the, they store the fuel assemblies on site until they are needed. Apparently, at this stage of the process, throughout all of this, this uranium is only mildly radioactive and is contained within these tubes, I guess, that they're in. Typically, reactor operators will change out about one-third of their reactor core, which is 40 to 90 fuel assemb- assemblies, every 12 to 24 months just to sort of give you a time frame for how long these things last because of course once the reactor is spent we have to think about the other end of the fuel cycle and how these things are stored and disposed of apparently like on this this diagram that uh, i have casey in in the document here for you to see and it will be one of the the links in the show notes as well, you can see this box labeled spent fuel reprocessing, and it looks like they're basically recycling some of the fuel. That is not actually a thing that happens right now, (laughs) at least in the United States. (laughs) But it might, it's, there's potential for it if we, I guess, can figure out how to do it. But uh, that is not what happens I like that little asterisk is doing a lot of work in yep. this diagram. It's so like, true. oh, yeah, then it just goes and around. Like, and then it's yeah. like, oh, it actually doesn't happen in the Perhaps US. you should have left the box out and put a sentence in that yes. says, in the future. Anyway, that doesn't happen. So these spent fuel rods do need to be stored. And that's another thing that we'll yeah. talk about here. So right. let's talk about why we would use nuclear power and Casey what what is the big one or what are some pros that you are aware of or what can you think of that would be the benefits of why we want nuclear energy to be in the discussion sure I honestly could probably be like my my gut keeps me in the like can we do something not this? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. do we have enough other stuff that will fill in the gaps so we don't have to do this? But I have been swayed to the, I understand why this is such a attractive option to a lot of people. And so, of course, why we're talking about this as an energy option is because it has basically no carbon emissions when you're actually like up and running yes. the plant for br- actually producing the energy. Yes, that's the big one. And so, again, people want to be nitpicky about this and be like, it's not really carbon free because there's carbon emissions in the mining and the transportation. And that's true of anything, anytime, anywhere. How far do you want us to go? Do you want us to calculate the emissions of the workers driving in their cars to the plant? You know, so my table has carbon emissions uh, under this standard, you know, like we're we're talking about the operation. yeah. Yeah, we have to understand that. 
So there are those life cycle assessments looking at the emissions for the total life cycle. And of course, they vary because it kind of depends on how you're calculating it and all, all, all of that. Just astronomically lower than you could be with any fossil fuel. So in that sense, in terms of those emissions, this is a clean energy source. Many environmentalists see this as a necessary option to lower our emissions in time to meet that Paris agreement to to mitigate the effects of climate change as best as we can. So that is the number one thing to to realize and understand about this. However, it is certainly not the only benefit to nuclear power. It is apparently very reliable. Um, This is several years old, but I think still very relevant. In the United States in 2016, nuclear power plants, which right now is generating about 20% of our electricity here in the U.S., had an average capacity factor of 92.3%. Um, and I'm trusting this is from a Yale um, E360 article. I'm trusting them that this is actually what the capacity factor means. But this would mean that they operated at full power on 336 out of 365 days of the year. Um, so the reasons that it might be down would be for maintenance and things like that. That is an amazing. I I will link to this chart as well, but especially compared to some of our other renewable energy sources that might be down in the like 30-ish something percent. This 92.3% is great. Might even have been better than coal. I'm not sure if I have that exactly right, but I I will have that uh, chart in the notes for us too. So very, a very reliable energy source. Right. And to throw in like my own personal experience is that our plant has two towers to it. So sometimes one wouldn't be Mm -hmm. running, but the other one was still running and they would like announce scheduled maintenance because let me tell you, nothing causes panic. Like the nuclear power plant seemingly not operational nearby. (laughs) Uh, No one likes that. Um, Only thing worse than that, like being like, let's have a nuclear power plant is being like our nuclear power plant isn't functioning. (laughs) So, so yeah, it's super reliable. And as a reminder to folks who might be forgetting some of our stuff from your energy episode is that basically we have to produce the energy at almost the exact same moment that we need to consume it. Yeah. And so when the sun is not out, when the wind is not blowing and there is not enough battery power to back up that system, something else needs to be in place. And so that's where nuclear really becomes this attractive option to, to basically supplement these other options. Yes. So that's a big one. The other one that gets mentioned a lot is the one that I struggle with is that it is considered a very safe power source. So Casey, you and I have both shared the the graph from our world in data on our various energy sources that looks at the both the carbon emissions and the safety of different power sources and it has nuclear as one of the safest options. However, you do have to kind of look at these things and look at what they're really saying. Most of the time when I see this mentioned, this is usually with regard to the number, specifically the number of deaths per unit of electricity produced, which is, I, I guess, a, a, fair, a fair measure. But 
it, deaths aren't the only <laughs> well okay so impact. here's what i was thinking about is that sarah you hate airplanes i th- i was gonna talk about this too yes carry on yes so when someone makes the argument to you mm-hmm. of but it's so much safer than being in a car yes for you it's probably more of the like catastrophic yes, element that's terrifying level. yes exactly that's what i say to people like i understand that statistically flying is much safer than driving but if something goes terribly wrong in that airplane there i'm thirty thousand feet in the air and that is not where i want to be when something has gone terribly wrong at least i when i'm in a car and i'm on the ground i just feel better about that so yes that i that was the exact comparison that I had in my head too. So the idea of nuclear disasters is one thing. However, that chart from our world in in data does specify that that includes the deaths from major nuclear accidents, which we will talk about. So even, even thinking about it that way, if it's that fear of the catastrophic things going wrong we have to keep in mind that that might be a little overblown yeah for us that even these these big things that have happened which we will talk about here uh, momentarily maybe they're not 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 only are they rare the idea of them might be worse than the reality and i hate to say that because it sounds very flippant and please don't think that that is me dismissing uh the these catastrophes because they are catastrophes but we will talk about that more kind of as we go through i just more wonder if how much this looks at the rest of that process like the uranium mining and that sort of thing those are still more of the, the safety issues that i am personally thinking about with regards to this so all that to say those are things i want to know more about Nuclear power is often described as a very safe option. Like that is put out there as a pro for it. So more to come there. But And I mean, like, for the most part, those three things, safe, reliable, yep. zero carbon emissions. If you were just to not name the energy source, I think most people would choose it. Right. Like if you didn't actually describe what was going on or they didn't have their preconceived notions and you described these benefits now without the cons still like that, that feels like something that people would be like, no, that's the, what we should be doing. Yes, absolutely. If I had started this episode with, okay, Casey, we're going to talk about an energy source (laughs) that doesn't produce any carbon emissions during operation. It's reliable 92.3% of the time up and running and it has one of the fewest amounts of deaths per whatever I said, units Unit of energy. Of energy yeah. Pretty much compared to all other energy sources that we have available to us. I'm like, yeah, sign me up. So that's something to think about if you are somebody who's like absolutely not to nuclear energy. Like really think about those things. However, let's talk about some of those cons that we've we've already been mentioning as we go along we'll get a little more into them um but some of the cons one that i just want to mention throw out there it's not usually talked about as a as a con to nuclear energy but it is not a renewable energy source right. however uranium 
is, to my understanding, fairly plentiful. We have enough for hundreds of years uh, and are finding more. Apparently, you can maybe get uranium from seawater. What? Once again, I don't know how that works. I just saw it out there, and I don't think it's something that we can do right now. Uh, but there's not a lot of concern right now with running out of uranium. And I do also believe that it's something that is found fairly worldwide as well. So just mentioning, though, it is not like when we talk about our solar wind or hydropower, it's not a renewable energy source. The big perceived cons for me when I talk about nuclear energy, the the big ones are all sort of related to safety in different ways. So even though we've just said it's a safe energy source, I think about radioactive waste. What's going on with that? What about these nuclear disasters? I watched Chernobyl on TV, so I have my bias there. And then, like we already talked about, the uranium mining, like how how safe is it really as we're obtaining these materials? So let's talk about the waste first. Let me tell you a fun story about when I was a senior in high school and a burgeoning but not very educated uh, environmental activist. We had a scientist from the Exelon company who runs our nuclear power plant come and give a little talk about job opportunities Yes, at the power plant. And here's some things I knew already about my area is that people generally had worse health outcomes in my general area than the average And this had sort of just been in the ether tied to the nuclear power plant. Like we, we make jokes, like literally today I was eating key lime um, yogurt and it was like bright green. And my coworkers was like, are you eating green yogurt? And one of my other coworkers was like, oh, she got it from Limerick, like in the power plant. That was like, that's the Uh joke. That's like the whole thing, I guess. Um, And so I'm like raising my hand being like, excuse me, how do you explain like, you know, radioactive waste? And how do you explain the increased rate of cancer around here? We're in a super fun site. That's how you do part of that. But like, so I had some very critical things. And the scientist was like, well, you know, that's actually not related to our plant, which felt very much like something that they would say as nuclear (laughs) advocates. Um, But definitely, like, I feel like that is ingrained in you pretty young. Radioactive waste is bad. We watch uh, Harley Quinn become Harley Quinn. Yep. Shoved into a vat of radioactive waste. Like, who knows? (laughs) It's very superhero comic book, bad guy type thing. You know, you see the... So I I watch The Simpsons a lot. Like, it's just my on in the background. And that's the whole big thing. You know, you got this Homer's, like, the safety guy at the power plant. And it's that's the big joke. And they've got the three-eyed fish swimming around and whatever. So, yeah, you you... It is. You you sort of get inundated with this. So let's, real quick, radiation in high doses causes radiation sickness. It can be deadly. At lower doses, it can cause certain adverse health effects like cardiovascular disease. Apparently cataracts didn't know that. Uh, And of course, cancer is is the, the one that I think about. Now, how much of this is going to come just from being around a 
power plant, you know, there are, so they're talking about high levels. So dosage is important. So there are sort of guidelines around what levels of radiation that you can be exposed to and, and those sorts of things. Previously, improper use, uh, improper disposal of radioactive waste from the early stages of the process from the mining and the milling has caused problems. I want to go back to in particular for those Navajo communities that we mentioned when this kind of took off in the United States. And this was like ridiculous reading about this. I will say I am glad that you can find this on our government website. So at least they're admitting <laughs> to that but it, it's just it was unbelievable that so waste rock from underground mines was just left piled outside the mines waste materials from from mining were used in the construction of roads homes and schools and it was not until 1978 where there was something called the uranium mill tailings radiation control act that stopped the use of mill tailings in building and construction projects and i'm just why did it take that long first of all uh, but there's also just waste that's still out there now uh, that remains at more than half of the abandoned mines uh, and continues to cause issues and that is from the epa like that's from the environmental protection agency so I do think that while it's important to acknowledge that we're not doing this anymore, we did this. <laughs> and this is this is a, a, a thing to know and to, I, I think, if nothing else, to help understand how some people might have really adverse uh, or really strong opinions against nuclear being used as an energy source because of the history of it. Well, and and it it's a for it feels like a relatively forever thing. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not gonna say forever, but like in the scheme of humans, a pretty long time that this waste is going to be hanging around, right? Like it doesn't just evaporate into the air. It doesn't evaporate into air. I mean, that's part of the problem is that oh, it evaporates. Well, yeah, I guess it does true. evaporate into the air, uh, and it becomes right on gas. Nice. That's not actually funny, but uh. <laughs> but yeah, that that is what happens. Uh, and it depends on the types of waste, which which we can talk about that too. And there are ways to clean it up. Obviously, you can't go back and erase the impacts that it has already had, but they are hopefully working on making these areas safer uh, going forward. But again, uh, apparently over half of these abandoned mines are are still not cleaned up. So that's that's part of the story here so when we're talking about radioactive waste that gets produced from all of these processes most waste is what is considered low level waste like that's actually what it's called um and it's so as you can imagine that means that it's not producing as high uh, amounts of radiation and that can be stored i guess in landfill-esque type situations relatively surface level pits, for lack of a better word. They're more structured than that. Uh, but they can be stored safely. Apparently, also, all the waste that has been generated in the United States so far could fit in a football field with a depth of about 30 feet to just, again, I'm just trying to give us pictures right. for how this all works, how quickly are we accumulating waste, that sort of thing. Which is pretty small. Right. And like, 
I think like the two things I would say is that's just in the U.S. where yes. we actually don't have an extremely high percentage of our energy coming from nuclear, Correct. like 20%. And number two, um, I know it's not all on that football field, but like who has to live near that football field? Sure. Right? Like that's, that. those are the two thoughts that pop in my head. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that too. And that's... um. And it's and it's not all stored it's together. It's not right? all together, right, right, right. Uh, so, um, but so, and we produce about two thousand tons of waste annually. So, space so much isn't the concern. With that low level waste, it doesn't seem like living around it necessarily would be a concern. You sound just like that Exelon lady. I know, but that, <laughs> I'm really trying to sort of process what I, yeah, what I have no, read totally. and just comparing like in terms of quote unquote safe levels of radiation, the background radiation that we're exposed to. That's the the impression that I'm getting. About 97% of nuclear waste is considered that low level waste, by the way. But high level waste more radiation, radioactive for much longer. This needs to be sorted safely for, I, gosh, I, I don't even have it on here, but I think thousands of years. Forever. Uh, just it, more yeah, or less like, forever. This, needs, this is going to need very long-term storage. Right now we have interim storage for it. This is from the U.S. Energy Administration. In, U.S. Energy Information Administration. We've used this website before. The United States currently has no permanent underground repository for high-level nuclear waste. What? <laughs> well, okay. So I, I think, I think I've seen things like this, but I think this comes back to my point of like, but who has to live near the football field? Of like, mm-hmm. who is volunteering to house it? What state is like? It's, you know what? Dig a hole in my my area here. Yes. Like, apparently, there have been lots of just arguments yeah and blah, 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 which i understand i told casey previously <laughs> like weeks ago and when, when i started talking about this episode like my biggest thing is with nuclear energy i and i know i said this knowing that casey does live near a nuclear pl- power plant but i'm like i wouldn't want to live close to a plant i also wouldn't want to live close to the waste and so i feel like i can't be behind it as an energy source because if I wouldn't want to do it I don't want to put it on other other people either but I to me it's just, it just goes back to this this horrible tradition that I feel like we have of being like oh hey here's this cool thing that we can do let's do it without ever really thinking of the follow-through of what are what is the end life gonna look like here Exactly. Like this reminds me of when John Shigarian um, Mm -hmm. was talking about like, hey, our solution for waste for so long is just dig another hole and just keep going until we run out of space. And that does feel like sort of the thought process that like just it seems to be a obviously as as the statistics you're giving me are not something we need to worry about that much but yeah. just feels like okay but then when do we when to, do we yeah. when, when does the you know the knock come on your door being like actually yeah and it, that's exactly it. and so again that's where this is another thing that i want i my brain doesn't like numbers so but i do want to go you know see sort of what i can find about this because we do have it's not like we have high level nuclear waste just sitting around out you know that, yeah. that these power plants are not just you know tossing their waste in a trash bag out the back door. Uh, We do have interim storage sites 
for these materials. Right. What we don't have are these long-term disposal sites. And I and- guess nowhere does, but there's one that I guess is being constructed constructed right now, I believe in Finland, is going to be the first underground long-term. So more to come. But that so that's the radioactive waste right. piece of it. The nuclear disasters piece of it. This is actually for me not as big of one, honestly. Right. But again, I don't live near there is a nuclear power plant in the state of Florida, but I think maybe multiple, but uh not particularly close to me. Is it a concern for you? Yeah. Um yes and no. So I would say story time uh senior year of high school again <laughs> um we were I really AP- wish I knew you when you <laughs> we were in AP calculus so um something that happened every month of my life was the first Monday of every month at two o'clock are the nuclear alarm tests mm. so well okay did you in Indiana did you have tornado sirens we did mm-hmm. yeah uh-huh. and that's very normal to me but wow uh-huh like loud in your like you can hear it inside your house inside the school loud once a month nuclear test sirens uh-huh. that makes me feel sick to my stomach I mean like it was just uh yes <laughs> <laughs> and like you know occasionally get in the mail like something being like this is where your shelter would be where you would get your iodide pill because basically if like radiation gets out into the atmosphere it can impact your thyroid so you would get um iodine pills at certain um distribution locations that would help basically not your thyroid not absorb radiation i think so anyway senior year they changed the alarm system i no one told me (laughs) that they changed the alarm system so that now there's two alarms one goes at like two o'clock and the other one's going at like two Oh five or something like that. So the first one goes, and we're all at like, first you hear it and you're like, eh, what day is it? And then you're like, Oh, it's Monday. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Then the second one goes off. Oh and my that's goodness. when my best friend and I were like, um, Mr. Decker to our, our calculus teacher, what is happening? And he was like, oh, I don't know, but, uh, <gasps> we're going to keep doing class. And we were like, no, actually we are done because at that point you realize as a teenager that you actually don't know what a nuclear disaster really looks like. And after my envisioning of it growing up was Hiroshima. Yeah. That's what I thought would happen if something went really badly. A- another thing that I don't know that is on here is that after 9-11 with like all the fear of terrorist attacks and like you can see it in Ukraine now is the nuclear power plant suddenly seems like a puts a target on your back to a certain extent. Like you realize that something going bad there could be really scary. And so like, that's what I imagine was basically the whole place turning into a bomb and then we all just die. And so when that, you know, a second alarm went off, my calculus teacher was like, well, if we're going to die, we're all going to die doing calculus. And I was like, no, I don't know what we're supposed to do right now. And it turns out they changed the alarm system and everything was totally fine. And like now having done research on nuclear disasters and being alive because actually that next year was when Fukushima happened. Um, you realize that it's not an explosion typically that mm-hmm. you're worried about. It's the radioactive leaking. That's, yeah. that's the issue. 
So that is that is my like general fear level growing up was like it was a sort of just part of the reality. And I yeah. don't know if other people who don't live near nuclear plants, but just like, you know, learned about World War II also had and like, you know, us pressuring off with like North Korea or Russia, yeah. like had this sort of background, like that's a possible apocalypse is a nuclear apocalypse but like mine just I think was a little more tied to something physical near me yeah which that I mean that's totally the I think the thought that I had when I was younger that yeah this because yeah I I think of nuclear I think of the bombs and so if I think of something going wrong in a nuclear power plant I definitely my brain thought explosion so something that I learned is according to the World Nuclear Association is that power reactors apparently cannot explode like a nuclear bomb would, even though it's, we talked about the same type of fuel, the same nuclear fission process, even if we sort of lose control of the reaction in a nuclear disaster. And it has to do with that enrichment process that we talked about. So I guess the fuel that we use at our power plants is not as enriched as the fuel for a bomb. So even though you read about explosions taking place with these meltdowns, it can't apparently actually explode in the way that a nuclear bomb would, which is good to know. So let's talk about the kind of the big disasters that will will crop up. When you're looking into this, Fukushima is one. This is the most recent big one. Obviously, we just mentioned current ongoings in Ukraine with concerns around one of their nuclear power plants. But with Fukushima, this was a natural disaster, just humongous, horrendous earthquake and tsunami that caused the plant to lose power and it it overran the backup generators. And this was really the big thing. So we talk about needing to control the reaction in those reactors, you have that um, that that moderator that's controlling the, the reaction. You need those cooling systems for that to work, basically. So that cooling system is what they lost that let it did lead to explosions within within the power plant, the, the core, and it basically leads to that reactor core meltdown and release of radiation numbers for these types of things are almost impossible impossible. yeah you just you can't figure it it out uh because again people will say uh same thing with like with so three mile island casey and i'm curious how much you knew or learned or or were taught about this because that three mile island is one that happened in pennsylvania um (laughs) but because people will say well nobody died so what I read one article, one person who is in the industry and, and familiar professor, I can't I can't remember where, but he was basically saying these these disasters should I, I don't know how they were worded it exactly, but are really showing basically how safe we are. They could have been so much worse basically right. i guess is is what they're getting at so even with this horrible earthquake and this horrible tsunami and yes there was radiation and yes i i gather that there were deaths related to people evacuating the area 
in with all of these other things that were going on. Um, but by and large, they say that the, because we're so prepared and ready for it, even when the worst is happening in terms of things going wrong at these plants, the safety protocols that are in place work, basically, I guess. So uh, I don't know. It's hard for me to sort of wrap my brain around because I even read some criticism that sort of governments react too strongly to these things. For example, that, you know, people are calling for evacuations around the power, the power plant in Ukraine and, and that sort of thing. There are folks who say that we react too strongly to these, the levels of radiation that get out, have gotten out in these things are not as excessive. And, um, and this is, this is causing unnecessary backlash to nuclear power, basically. I disagree. <laughs> well, okay. Well, we could also talk about, I think, the nuclear disaster. The nuclear disaster that everyone knows about. Sure. Which is Chernobyl. Yes. And Chernobyl, honestly, you watch the TV show. All I know is like lots and lots of things went wrong and that it should never have happened in the first place. Yeah, I didn't even write the description on here because it did seem like this was a multifactorial right. issue of of operator error and just uh, just things going wrong with the plant. Yes. But... People can't live there now. Yeah. <laughs> and it was in 1986. Now, I think like part of that is you'll see like documentaries on Chernobyl or like that like weird macabre like death vacationing where people go on like tours in Chernobyl cities. Like, mm-hmm. um, but like that's sort of the the um face of nuclear disasters is this thing where everybody had to evacuate the area and then you never get to go back ever. Well, you can- Which is my baseline understanding. You can go back. I mean, I think that there are areas that have been declared safe around both of these places in in Fukushima and Chernobyl that have been declared safe for people to go back to. Some people don't want to go back. Um, And I don't know, you know, what the radius is, if there is, I'm I'm sure there is in Fukushima. I, with- I don't know how the radiuses have changed, but yeah, there's, there certainly have been areas that they evacuated and, and they're saying now are no, like the, the levels of radiation are not excessive and they would be safe to live in again. And so I don't think it is necessarily forever. I just think that it is worth being extra safe and maybe we do need to just be a little less I don't know what the to go back to the airplane analogy there's no reason for me to not get on an airplane it's right I'm choosing to be extra extra cautious about this and I I need to figure out a way in my brain to say yep you know if something went wrong here it would be really bad but that doesn't mean that it will we shouldn't fly you know right. what i mean and so maybe it's the same type of thing yes there's possible things that could go really long wrong here that doesn't mean we shouldn't use it it does mean 
that we better be very safe and very thoughtful. And some of the things that I, the videos that I was watching and articles that I was reading, folks who say that they work in the industry, who knows, people can be whatever they want online, but folks would come and say that, you know, I, I work at a nuclear power plant and the level of uh, that they take safety is extremely high. And that's what you want to hear, right? Yeah. I think, you know, so I guess maybe with all of this, what I'm saying is where I'm coming around to is I see the benefits of nuclear power. We had better be continuing to look at and update safety guidelines in all steps along this process. Uh, one of my very good friends is a nuclear scientist on a submarine. <laughs> Well, let's talk to them <laughs> on the podcast. But like all of all of the training that he had to go through, because I was friends basically for like from the start of him doing it. Um, and like we went to college together and then like find like learning of his journey afterwards, like felt very like I was alongside him for a while because he would tell us all about it. But like they do go through a crazy amount of work and like rigorous training. And there are because I mean, let me tell you what's scarier than just a nuclear power plant to me. A nuclear submarine. <laughs> it's under the ocean. I hate it when he's on that thing. But he's like he's the guy and I trust that he's going to keep things going. And he tells me about the like 80 backup systems that yeah. they have for everything. So there really isn't like a whoops, one person messed up. It, it would take exactly. like a lot of people to messing up. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing I think is that even if it's not like an explosion, one of the scary things about it is cancer, which I feel mm -hmm. like is just a amorphous, scary thing sure. that once again you can't be like that definitely is why you got it mm -hmm. but like it, anything that increases your risk of cancer nah. right exactly i mean most everybody knows somebody who is or has uh dealt with cancer and i have close family and friends who have had horrible horrible battles with cancer and so that certainly colors my thoughts and feelings about this too. And that's where I sort of feel bad about this whole episode right now, because I do feel like what we have shared mostly is our feelings is and our opinions. Anxiety. And yeah. I want to, that that's why I say that I, I want to follow up. I will also, when we wrap up, uh, that's going to be related to our, our challenges as well, is just getting some more information out there. But I do feel like this is going to be the uphill battle for nuclear energy, is understanding that public opinion and how really can we get to the bottom of how concerned should we really be about these in the grand scheme of things and looking at how much radiation is too much radiation? What is the plan for this long-term storage? What really are the risk factors of uranium mining and, and those sorts of things? And I do want to point out that despite all of the things that I have just said, I live near one with basically no problems. Right. Never actually had a real actual problem with the nuclear power plant right. that's been around since the 80s in my yeah. area. Super long lasting source of energy as well. And that despite all of my also preconceived notions, I'm sort of on my team. Yeah, I guess nuclear is probably the way we're going to have to do it. I think 
<laughs> I mean, I think at the very least, I'm not going to be like, let's shut down all of the nuclear power plants okay. <laughs> immediately. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so I am I'm accepting of nuclear power and I appreciate the pros very much for what they are. And I think so I, let me mention the the last con, which feels like nothing to me compared to everything else, but probably is actually a really huge factor. <laughs> actually, in, the biggest <laughs> reason we don't have more. <laughs> in the, yeah, in the future of, of nuclear power is the cost. So nuclear, the cost of building new power plants is a lot. And this is from energy.gov. Conventional reactor designs for nuclear power plants are considered multi-billion dollar infrastructure projects. Uh Um, And we have not had a lot of new reactors built in the United States. Apparently there are two more that are either just came on or will be going on soon. And there's a whole bunch of other applications out um, proposing to build 24 new nuclear reactors. Most of these, though, are what's called a small modular reactor. So I don't know too much about this, but they're smaller. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, they're going to offer more flexibility. They're going to have a smaller construction time and going to make nuclear power more vulnerable and I think safer too and I can't remember of course I didn't write that part down but um but I think that there's just the way that this the, these are designed at least one thing I read said something about how it would be next to impossible to have a reactor meltdown which is the the issues that we want to hear so I again, yeah, don't don't go running off and telling everybody that I said nuclear power is infallible more to come so Sarah said it's perfect <laughs> no problems um, but so that is that has been an issue in the past and perhaps these new reactor designs will help make those costs a little bit more attainable Casey. oh man Good job, Sarah. Uh, I don't know if it was. I, like it I said, was. I really feel like I just spent an hour giving you all my opinions on things. But I think it is good to have that discussion as yes. well. Like, I think it's good to kind of parse out why we feel the way that we feel about things, recognize what our sort of leanings might be, our biases might be, our what are, our life experiences lead us to on a certain thing and evaluating how much of that is true how much of that is just sort of our emotional input so hopefully still a valuable discussion hopefully there will be a little more hard data to follow on some of these things in the future as well and yeah i think it's important to contextualize I think it's good to acknowledge that we are, even though we would both consider ourselves science people, we like science, that we are still human beings Mm -hmm. with our own preconceived notions, emotions wrapped up in things. And I think number two is that like data doesn't always tell the entire story. Like I always think about how like companies have come up with the number of like, what a human life is worth, you know, mm-hmm. for payouts for lawyers. And I think most of us could agree that like you could never put a standardized number to a human life. And yet like that's something that we've done. And that's sort of how I feel about some of this is like, 
I, I can cognitively say that like, yes, the number of people who have died is very small, but like, hmm, <laughs> is for me, is the, you know, is that enough information to say that it is worth whatever? And I mean, as I said, I think I've come down on the side of, yeah, I, I think we're probably much safer than what childhood me thought. <laughs> and, um, and that this is going to be part of the energy solution. But, uh, but the, these, the facts, we can't just be like, oh, see, safe, reliable and, uh, zero emissions. So case closed. It's important to talk about all those things. Uh, and I really appreciate your thoughts and stories and your kind of personal experience (laughs) from, uh, from being nearby in the power plant. So thanks as always for the discussion. Stick around folks. I will try to come up with a, a couple of challenges for you and we'll wrap things up in just a moment. All right. Boy, thanks for sticking with us everybody. I do hope you got something useful out of that. My brain was about ready to explode my the literal reactor meltdown yes the line under our outline that Casey and I used where I put wrap up I wrote ah (laughs) (laughs) because that's how I felt that is how I felt trying to put all of this together and trying to formulate some clear thoughts in my mind and still feeling like there was so much more that I wanted to learn and I did struggle with coming up with some challenges for this week after I start the episode talking about wanting to be more mindful of challenges. I don't know that I have any challenges dealing with trying to support nuclear energy or not yet, right? So that's not obviously the, the route that I wanted to go with this. I do just sort of want to challenge all of us to learn a little bit more together. Sometimes being a little greener requires us to learn a little more too. So a couple of quick things for you. One, look at the list of nuclear reactors in your country. You can find just Google it and you'll find a list of active and um, I forget what the word is right now, but sites that are no longer active as well. Decommissioned maybe is what they call it when they they take one off offline. But uh, you can look at what the list of the, the nuclear power plants are and see see if you live near one. Then there are two articles that I will have in our show notes. We might share them on our social media as well. But just two things that I want you to read. One is we mentioned the history of Navajo Nation and uranium mining. So there is a statement, and I oh, I can't remember what year this is from, uh, but relatively recently, this is a Navajo statement to the Subcommittee on Energy and Mineral Resources about their point of view on uranium mining and nuclear energy. So check that out. There's a, an NPR article that I'll link to uh, dealing with that as well. And then there's also from last year, the United Nations, uh, this is the United Nations Economic Commission for Europe, the UNECE. They released a a document last year 
arguing for nuclear power and how this can help us to meet our climate goals and meet the the Paris Agreement and all of that. So a couple of different perspectives, different types of information that you can find. So I'll share all of that. And I think it's worth a look just to try to help us see some different perspectives and, and formulate our own thoughts. See some different perspectives, get more informed about a topic that you may have feelings about. I think that's a really important like lesson as a human is if you have really strong opinions about something, you should probably always continue to get the best information mm-hmm. of it because things change all the time. Um, one of the things that helped me is actually a challenge. If you want to hit two challenges at the same time um, from our episode with Justin Gillis about the big fix, his book actually has a chapter about nuclear energy. And I think it makes some really compelling points about nuclear energy, but also got into some of those logistical challenges specifically here in the U S of like why some other countries have lots of nuclear power plants. And some of those things that Sarah spoke to of like our fear around them and the costs and logistics that make having more nuclear power plants challenging and and how feasible they are as part of the energy solution. So um, the big fix, you can get it. It's a great read regardless, but you can hit two challenges with one. All right, everybody. Thanks again for listening. Casey, thanks for your discussion. If you all need to reach out to us about anything, you can find us everywhere. We're on Facebook, A Little Greater Podcast. We are on Instagram at A Little Greater Pod. We're on Twitter at a greener podcast. You can find us on YouTube if you would like to use captions. And you can email us at a little greener podcast at gmail.com. Email us with your childhood nuclear power plant stories. I've shared mine. I want to hear yours. If you work in the nuclear energy field, please talk to us. Reach out. Let us know. You want to be a guest on the podcast. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Casey. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a good week. Bye.